Hi, and welcome to the launch episode of Success Strategies for Professional Women. One of my course and coaching modules is based on the 10 things that get in the way of women being promoted. Caveat, sadly, the list is not exhaustive. I've shared this thinking on LinkedIn a few times, and it always resonates soundly because each of those 10 challenges is something most women have experienced at one time or another. Some of the challenges are blatantly obvious, Others are the more covert, everyday behaviours and microaggressions that are absorbed into the culture and excused to the point at which we become desensitised and stop noticing them, let alone call them out. Going forward, I'll be dedicating an episode on the success strategies for overcoming each barrier, plus some others along the way. Before starting my company, First Woman, in 2019, I worked in advertising agencies for over 20 years as a marketing and brand strategist. UK ad agencies are awash with prominent senior female leaders, so there were plenty of role models to aspire to. But this certainly wasn't the case in my corporate roles, where it was still very much a man's world. Now, I don't want anyone to think that I am anti-man. I'm absolutely not. And whilst I am on a mission to help fast track women into leadership roles, I actually don't agree with quotas. I believe 100% in meritocracy and the right person for the job. But meritocracy only works on a level playing field. If promotions were just about who is the most competent, meets their objectives, is the most diligent and the best manager, then I wouldn't be here talking to you. But they're not. It's long been said that for a woman to get half as much credit as a man, she has to work twice as hard and be twice as smart. Sadly, this remains a truth. But why is it still the case? Well, women have to navigate a very narrow path at work by being assertive but pleasant, outspoken but warm, and successful but not self-promoting. We still have to self-divine in a world of gender stereotypes and leadership gaps, dogged by cultural norms which are skewed in the favour of our male colleagues. We know that there are external factors at play, systemic organisational gender bias, either conscious or unconscious, is the catch-all term. Add that to social engineering and unhelpful stereotypes, and we have a toxic mix of shit that could stop Wonder Woman in her tracks, let alone us mere mortals. But let's be specific because only by breaking down the root cause and outcomes can we affect change ourselves. So here are the 10 barriers to women getting promoted, which lend themselves to the purpose of this podcast. Many are interlinked and some work together to create a myriad of obstacles to advancement, but none, I repeat, none are insurmountable. So let's start with valuing competency and expertise above visibility. In the mid-90s, a thought leader and author called Harvey Coleman researched and subsequently created a model which identified the main contributors of success. These were performance, 20%, image, 20%, so that's how you're perceived, your reputation and what you're known for, and exposure, visibility or brand awareness, 60%. He called the model PI, performance, image, exposure. And for me, this is where women come unstuck because women massively over-index on performance as opposed to exposure. 
It's the way we were brought up. Work hard, keep your head down and reap the rewards. This methodology worked in school and even uni, but not in the workplace where talent and hard work alone is simply not enough. But if I had a pound for every woman I hear say she wants to be known for being good at her job, I'd be rich. Well, slightly better off anyway. Wanting to be good at your job plays into the work hard, be super competent myth. And whilst it might be the reason you got to where you are, what about the next role and the one after? Being good at your job creates a safe space, a position of expertise, one that is more difficult to challenge, but it's ultimately counterproductive. It's what sticks us to the floor. Have you ever had a boss say, oh, we can't afford to lose you, but that never seems to convert to a promotion or a significant pay rise? On the face of it, it's flattering. It provides validation of our expertise and competency. So we carry on doing an even better job polishing and perfecting our expertise, while someone else has wised up to the fact that if you don't show what else you can do alongside your current role, if you don't showcase your potential, then you'll never be put forward. And what's more, your boss won't want you to be in that space. It's in his or her interest to keep you where you are. And this is closely aligned to perfectionism. Perfectionism means not being happy with less than 10 out of 10, 100%. And as a perfectionist, you'll always be looking to refine and improve. It's an honourable cause if you want to excel solely in the job you are in. Perfectionism not only adds an extra layer of glue to the floor, it also prevents us going for new opportunities and roles. The well-documented Hewlett-Packard research, which suggested that men will apply for a role with only six out of 10 of the skills required, whereas women will only apply with 10 out of 10, is perfectionism in play. Being eight out of 10, delivering eight out of 10, being good enough, somehow carries negative connotations. Good enough feels shoddy, but in its literal form, it means fit for purpose, everything that is required, all that is required. Perfection is overrated and more importantly, it gets in the way of progress. So we should embrace good enough as the way forward. The third barrier, hoping to be noticed and spontaneously rewarded for our hard work. So as women, we tend to focus on our work as mentioned and keep quiet about our successes and our achievements for fear of sounding arrogant or braggy. We deflect compliments. Ah, it was nothing, just doing my job. Or we credit the team rather than ourselves so as to appear less self-serving. In her book, Why Men Win at Work, Jill Whitty Collins describes this as the umbrella theory. It refers to how women work hard, hiding under an umbrella, never mentioning their achievements, but hoping, despite being invisible, that they will be noticed and rewarded. Remember, Harvey's pie theory suggests that performance only contributes 20% towards success. So this rarely happens, especially when your boss would actually quite like you to stay put. Which brings me neatly on to number four, reluctance to own our own achievements. Women hate to self-promote. I've heard it described as inelegant, vulgar, cringe and wholly unnecessary. 
or at least it should be. But the problem with being overly modest is, contrary to popular belief, your achievements won't speak for themselves. They need a voice, your voice. If you don't take credit for your achievements, then someone else will, or it will be mis misattributed. Self-promotion doesn't mean you have to permanently big yourself up. There are other ways of sharing your achievements. Simon Sinek is quoted as saying, confidence is knowing you are good. Arrogance is thinking you are better than everyone else. And I'd add that it's not bragging if it's fact, but the skill in this is in the delivery. Another difference between men and women. Women build networks for personal rather than professional benefit. We thrive better in safe spaces with people we know, we like and we trust. These people become confidants and allies. We gladly invest our time and energy into others. We nurture our teams, helping them to grow. It's what we do. And the relationships become personal. So no surprise that when it comes to leveraging these relationships for professional purpose, it feels disingenuous. Men, on the other hand, build broader, more shallow networks of associates based on the understanding of you scratch my back and I'll scratch yours. They also have the upper hand with beers after work, rounds of golf, informal gatherings that, if you have to get home for the kids, will likely exclude you. Men understand the importance of being seen by the right audience and how to make that happen. Women see this as playing politics and it's not something they want to be part of. Their preference is to hope they will be noticed without being intentional. And then they get demoralised and demotivated when they're overlooked. If you find it difficult to say no or hold back on a controversial opinion or spend your entire time helping out others at the expense of yourself, then you've probably got a degree in people pleasing. Women particularly have been engineered to be selfless and always put others first. So we don't want to appear obstructive, which leads to saying yes when we mean no, regardless of the toll it takes. People pleasing leads to overcommitment, stress and burnout. It also sets precedents which, once established, are difficult to overturn. If you always say yes to taking on non-promotional tasks that are outside your remit, then guess what? You'll be forever lumbered with them. If you always work long hours, be that as standard, or to fulfil an unreasonable request, then that will be the expectation. And when you want to leave on time or early, it will be challenged. Learning to say no is liberating. You'll find yourself respected for your decisions and far more effective in the job you are paid to do. Use of minimising self-sabotaging language. I'm going to cover this in the first Success Strategies podcast as it's a subject very close to my heart and it's such an easy win. Please, please, can we stop saying just or I'm no expert, or this might be a bad idea, or for apologising when we speak. Every communication, written or verbal, creates an impression of our personal brand. It's how we manage and deliver our message. There are seven or eight types of self-sabotaging language, from the use of reductive words like just, to softeners, where we use phrases such as I think or 
I believe, studiously avoiding I know in an effort to appear less assertive. But doing this does not make us polite or inoffensive. On the contrary, it destroys our credibility by creating uncertainty in the mind of the listener. If you present an idea with I'm no expert, then you might as well stop there because everyone will discount what you're about to say. Think about it. Why would you be taken seriously when you've just massively dumbed down your credentials and validity? Becoming aware of these verbal tics is most of the battle to stop using them. Listen to the next episode to find out more. Number eight, focusing on your job rather than your career. Brand yourself for the career you want, not the job you have. The transition from manager to leader is a tricky one because leadership requires a completely different set of skills. And I contend that this is one of the reasons women get stuck at management level rather than moving into leadership roles. You see, when you are known for being good at your job and super competent, those are the skills of the manager, not the leader. Leadership requires letting go of the detail and the minutiae. Leadership is about vision and strategy, forward thinking and ideas. Leaders delegate the operational tasks to managers who empower teams to get them done. This means not doing it all yourself, taking risks, making unpopular decisions and sometimes getting it wrong. I'm convinced that many, many women have all the talent and skills required to be great leaders, but their focus is often in the wrong place. Being good at your current job is a safe space. It's more difficult to get it wrong when you're a subject matter expert, but that's not what gets you into a leadership role. Leaders are hired on their potential, managers on their experience. And interestingly, there is research to suggest this maxim is also gender related. Men are judged on potential, women on past experience. So it might just be that this is self-fulfilling in the wrong way. Perhaps women compound the problem by focusing on expertise and proven previous experience rather than showcasing their leadership prowess. That's definitely a debate for a glass of wine. Wanting to be liked, aka worrying about what others think of you. So do you worry people might not like you? Do you avoid making unpopular decisions? Do you ruminate and obsess about something you might have said or done that may have caused offence? As women, we are taught from birth that our inherent worth lies in what other people think of us. That's why we are told to be personable and nice, to be kind and to smile. That's why we are judged in our appearance and what we wear. It's all about being appealing to others. But here's a fact. Not everyone is going to like you, no matter what. Leadership isn't a popularity contest. Being respected for your thoughts, ideas and opinions is way more important than being liked. When we have a need to be liked, the pressure we put on ourselves to conform to what is expected is huge. It leads to a range of health issues, a loss of self and ultimately behaviours which don't align with our values and who we are. Mark Manson's book, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck, is revelatory in this respect and definitely worth a read. As someone who spent a good many years trying to bend to fit in and not offend, I can speak from experience. It's a hiding to nothing. And finally, overanalyzing. 
Have you ever had a sleepless night rerunning a conversation over in your head, playing it over and over again and inserting the words you wish you'd said but didn't and then projecting a new outcome? Or maybe you preempted a situation that you imagine will be a catastrophe with no real reason to believe that. But before long, your brain has turned a simple ask into a big deal upon which your future depends. Overanalyzing whether it's rehashing a past event or stressing about a future one creates a constant source of anguish and anxiety about what might have been or could be. What we focus on expands. So if the internal narrative is negative, that is what pervades. An inability to get out of our own heads creates problems that don't exist and we miss out on opportunities. There are two very obvious manifestations of this, lack of confidence and imposter syndrome, which I'm going to treat as separate episodes because they are such huge and important topics. But both are driven by fear. Fear is driven by over-analysis, preemption and second-guessing. Fear of failure, fear of saying something stupid, fear of getting it wrong, fear of being found out, the eternal what-if. But can you imagine how productive we would be if we spent as much time analysing the good outcomes we have achieved rather than obsessing about the negative ones, which might never happen? So those are the 10 barriers to success, which I'll address in each episode, plus confidence, fear, imposter syndrome and a few others. As I said, the list is not exhaustive. I've already uploaded some of these episodes onto the cast with more to come on a weekly basis or, frankly, as often as I can record them. If you've enjoyed listening to this launch episode, crack on with the others and bring your female friends and colleagues into the fold. You can also follow me on LinkedIn. Just search for Mel Stanley, Personal Branding for Women. And there are articles and practical downloads on my website. Totally free. You don't even need to share your email address. How good is that? Thank you.